Virginia, NPO. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. So just slow down in life because you can't buy back your time. Hello, this is Jerry Rogers, and welcome to our podcast today, Artemis Speaks. I am thrilled to have my guest in today. This is an old friend of mine. We've worked together on many projects and started, I believe, back in the 80s on producing Artemis Journal, creating art and poetry. And at the time, Bill White was uh, teaching at Holland's. Uh, Bill is uh, owner and artist of a uh, gallery now up in New York. We'll get into that. But Bill spent 39 years as professor of painting at Holland University in Roanoke, Virginia. He's received grants from Cabell, Mellon, Ford Foundations, and in 2012 was honored with the Kendig Individual Award. Bill is a member of the Midwest Paint Group and has been a guest artist with the Zeox Gallery. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He has had residencies at the CIT International Day Arts in Paris, France, and the Vermont Studio Center. His work is widely held in private collections as well as uh, others that, that support his work. He's highly revered. His work is wonderful, and currently he is in our Artemis Journal 2021. He has also been a featured cover artist with us in 2015. So welcome to our show, Bill. We're thrilled to have you here. Well, thank you, Jerry. It's a real privilege. Well, you you were with Holland University for a long time, but you're not originally from this area. Um, I'm just curious, how did you start your artistic career and where did you start? Well, I grew up in uh, the city of Philadelphia in uh, West Philadelphia, uh, and uh, in a very uh, working-class uh, neighborhood, uh, row homes, and uh, everybody got out in the morning and went to their jobs and came home, and you know, just kind of a, a, a traditional routine. Uh, my dad was a house painter. Uh, my mom, when I was young, was stay at home and uh, they were very supportive of my art interest as a young kid and uh, one of the uh, quite thrilling experiences was I would go with my dad to the paint store when he would go pick up supplies and they had a cabinet full of art supplies and uh, stick my nose against the glass and he'd let me buy one thing uh, each time we went and uh, so by the time I was about eight or nine uh, I had all kinds of charcoal and drawing supplies and oil paints and was painting and uh, uh, went on from there to uh, going on to art school 
at the Philadelphia College of Art uh, in downtown Philadelphia, now called the University of the Arts, where they align themselves with uh, music and dance and theater. Uh, it's a huge conglomerate uh, institution, uh, quite extraordinary uh, in uh, Philadelphia. And I went on to graduate school at Tyler School of Art, which is part of Temple University, uh, and then uh, started teaching after that at Indiana University, and then shortly after came to Holland in 1971, stayed until 2010. Well, you you influenced so many people um, through the years of teaching, and uh, um, you know, just you're so highly revered with with your teaching skills. We were sorry to see you go, but we understand you needed to return back up to New York with family, and, and you wanted to move on and yeah. retire, and probably what paint more rather than be in a classroom. Yeah, yeah. right, right. So one of the things uh, in anticipation of retirement uh, 2010, uh, uh, when we were living on Mountain Pass Road in Troutville, I had built a big 24 by 36 foot studio with skylights and French doors and looked out onto a pond and the Appalachian Trail over the hill. It's just an extraordinary, but never thinking in my wildest dreams that we would be leaving Virginia and uh, this great home and studio, uh, but uh, uh, I ended up uh, needing uh, bypass surgery, and as a result of that, uh, both Linda and our daughter Heather said, mm, "No, I think uh, we need to be closer to our family," and so it prompted the move up here to this little village of Caledonia, New York, which is south of Rochester in the. Uh, sort of northwestern part of the state. Well, it looks beautiful. You're getting, you have a gallery there as well, I saw, yes. downtown. Yeah. It yeah. looks like a story, yeah, we, storybook town. Well, it, it's a little village, uh, one of many I've, I've discovered, you know, in talking to uh, the local people that uh, back in as early as the founding of the country, uh, People were moving westward uh, into uh, New York State, and certainly by the early 1800s, uh, each of the little villages, of which Caledonia is one, Leroy, Avon, and so on, Batavia, uh, are about six to seven miles apart. And the reason for that is that was the distance that a uh, horse and wagon could travel back and forth during the course of the day to deliver or sell uh, their wares uh, to some of the other communities. And so spotted all over uh, where we are in Livingston County are these little villages, uh, each of which has its own very unique uh, and wonderful characteristics, uh, as does certainly Caledonia, where we're now living. Well, it sounds like you landed in a great spot and with family, your daughter, and but we yeah. miss you down here. Um, but well, we'll just go back to the teaching at Hollands. I wanted to ask yes. you, what was your philosophy when you taught? How did you approach that? Well, uh, uh, since Hollands was not an art school, a uh, professional school, but a liberal arts institution, uh, I realized that 
it was unlikely that the students I'd be working with were all going to become working professional artists. So I realized rather early on that uh, trying to teach people how to see and understand the world around them in a visual, artistic way, rather than uh, what normally happens is you look at something and you say, oh, there's the chair, or that's the window, or hey, the sky is blue, the grass is green. Uh, but those things don't uh, lead you anywhere uh, when you're trying to be uh, a painter or learn drawing and color and composition and so on. And so I realized that uh, uh, working with students who were also from many other disciplines, certainly not just studio art students, that uh, by speaking in analogies, uh, uh, it would be very, very helpful. So you know, I'd say, okay, now, if you were having to learn a sport like golf, you wouldn't just buy a set of clubs and say, well, I'm going to go golfing. You would get a teacher and they would first say, okay, this is how you address the ball. This is how you put your feet and break it down into all these steps. And I realized that in drawing and painting, uh, composition and so on, is I could do that for my students and you know build them up uh, slowly uh, in terms of all of these skills that then they would be able to apply. And then secondly is, again, with this idea that sort of the analogy to sports is, say, okay, well, you know, at a certain point, you've had your lessons and now you've got to just go play the game. And you have to rely on the fact that you've developed some of these good habits and skills and just try to use them. And so that was really how I taught was, you know, trying to uh, introduce uh, skills and ideas and ways of understanding uh, what artists have done in the past, and then say, here, you just got to jump in and try it. Uh, and it turned out to be, I think, a very successful way to, to work with students of all sorts. Well, you were really uh, loved by your students. I've met several of them. And how would you describe your paintings? Uh, to me, they're very impressionistic, but I would be mm -hmm. curious how you would uh, explain what you do. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, for the most part, work from observation. And uh, when you're looking at the world around you, whether it's outside uh, in a landscape or inside in a studio or interior, uh, uh, it, it's like what you're looking at uh, can be re revealed in very different ways depending on the kind of light, the quality of the day uh, that alters uh, how things are experienced. And so uh, I would try my best to uh, work quickly and uh, block in and get things established uh, on the canvas as quickly as I could with uh, uh, sort of the biggest assessments that I thought my eye was picking up. Uh, and then, uh, in a way, by working more quickly, intuitively, uh, more boldly, uh, I was trying to sort of outrun my my mind that would want to say, oh, it's like, well, you can't put pink on that path. 
you know, that that's not reality. It, it's a gray macadam highway, you know, but uh, so I found that over time, uh, you know, the more I made work that suggested uh, in pictorial terms what I was experiencing, not just the identity of the objects, but the feeling of being there in their presence, uh, the closer I could get to that, uh, the stronger the picture became. And so like the picture that's in the current Artemis uh, was uh, from a trip that we made out to the national parks uh, several years ago. And uh, it was actually from a photograph that I had taken and I had rarely done that, but during the COVID uh, uh, lockdown, uh, I was in my studio and couldn't really get out and around with anybody. And uh, uh, I started working from some of these photographs, and uh, that was the result of uh, one of those efforts. Well, your work is amazing, and <clears throat> in trying to shut your mind down, uh, you sound like you're trying to connect with these objects, almost like the secret life of, you know, of an object, secret life of plants. You know, they have an energy, yeah. and yes. so you're going in into that energy vortex with that item, and you're creating something that that speaks louder than what your eyes and brain have tried to make you see and think of. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. And I think it's it, it's the kind of thing that, you know, when you speak to a poet, uh, and I was very fortunate in Alice to have, you know, incredibly special colleagues in all kinds of disciplines, but especially in the English department with creative writers uh, that, you know, begin to realize it's like, but uh, language uh, has a capacity, if we allow it, uh, to evoke things that are beyond the simple meaning of the words. And I think that's what I'm trying to do with the pictures, is to evoke something that is present and you can recognize it to a certain degree, but that what you're getting is something that's beyond uh, the familiar. Uh, and that's something that I think uh, uh, the paintings that I've always admired of artists in the past uh, uh, has been, they've been able to do. And that's what I feel like my challenge is, is to, you know, try to rise to the occasion uh, as best I can with my own uh, qualities of working uh, uh, habits and uh, interests in, in color and paint. Is there a particular artist you admire or you have followed through your years of painting? Uh, I would say there are uh, several of them. Uh, each have their own characteristics. Uh, certainly uh, my earliest love was Van Gogh. Uh, had a chance to see a great, big, huge exhibition uh, in Philadelphia when I was still a kid. And uh, But certainly Matisse, uh, uh, Vuillard, and Bonard uh, as the uh, early uh, mid-century painters, and then a Spanish painter who's uh, becoming better known uh, from the early 20th century, Joaquin Soroya, uh, who uh, was sort of of the same generation as John Singer Sargent. And uh, there's a wonderful, huge 
mural cycle that he did for the Hispanic Society uh, of America that's up in Spanish Harlem area of New York City that I've seen a number of times and had the good fortune to visit his home and studio museum in Madrid uh, a number of occasions. And it's very uh, striking work, just so fresh and uh, just full of air and light and color. Uh, really a magnificent painter. For those uh, listening to this podcast, if you haven't seen Bill's work, you can go on our website, ArtemisJournal.org. He was a cover artist um, in 2015, I believe. And then, uh, you know, this current Artemis you're in, as well as several others. But you started, Bill, years ago working with Artemis. Of course, we began in 1977. I think Mm -hmm. you came on board in the 80s. Artemis has gone through so many evolutions, and different people have come and gone. And I think Anne Weinstein and Sidney... Invited you in for to be yes. an art editor, I believe. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, Anne uh, was certainly, as you can attest, was a force of nature in Roanoke in the art scene, and you know, very influential as uh, a writer in the newspaper. Uh, and she and Sydney has been so important in supporting uh, the arts in Roanoke. Uh, at many levels. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, those uh, first years of working with you and, and Maurice and, and others uh, on the journal, uh, trying to put it together uh, in the complexities prior to uh, the, the the wonders and magic of digital formatting. I know. Uh, it was all kind of cut and paste and oh, yeah. measuring and using yes. slide rules and things to get the right proportions and all of that uh, with the printers. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, a, a very uh, special experience for me to get to work with you all with Artemis in those days. Uh, and I believe it you know, really helped to bring a connection for me to other artists and writers uh, in the region that I had not up to that point gotten to know. Uh, Maurice certainly being uh, one of the fellows that uh, over the decades kept up with and uh, actually used to uh, walk the track at the Bonnetot Health Club back uh, before we moved away, and it was always great to, to see Maurice. Right, and of course, that's Maurice Ferguson, who is still currently our uh, uh, editor for poetry, and we yes. love having him. He was one of the first men to join us, and back in the 80s, um, I had actually left the country uh, after a couple of years of getting Artemis going and that's when Anne came in and different people and then I moved back and got back involved uh it's it's a long long history or should I say her story and then after we put it to rest in the year 2000 I think we were all just exhausted it was mostly artists and writers doing this on a volunteer basis Uh, we decided to bring it back and resurrect it. We really missed it back in uh, 2013, 2014. And I want to mm-hmm. mention your involvement back in um, 
during that time, you helped uh, get information to the Taubman Museum and get others involved in the community, and that's how our association started with the Taubman, and then we you know, kind of expanded from there. Every year, the Talman Museum donates us theater space and for our annual mm-hmm. launch, which we will be having September 3rd. God willing, if everything goes okay, yeah. we'll see how it goes. Perfect, perfect. And uh, we've yeah. got a great program, Nikki Giovanni and uh, Lucinda Roy. But we'll talk more about that. I want to get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um now that you're up in New York and you have your gallery, tell us about what you're doing now and what your future plans are. Well, uh, uh, one of the things that I missed very much was having a, a working studio. Uh, when we first bought the building that the gallery is in, uh, I was working in a small room at the back of, of the gallery. And, uh, you know, that was sufficient in getting, you know, sort of my feet on the ground again. And uh, uh, having come from such a beautiful, high-ceiling, well-lighted studio that was spacious and had plants and things, uh, I discovered that there was a thing across the street uh, that was built uh, in 1830 uh, that had housed a uh, a forge, a blacksmith, a wheelwright, and then for most of the 20th century had been the home of Keith Press that did uh, some local newspapers. And it was uh, uh, up for sale and thought, wow, this could be a fantastic working space. So with the help of a friend, uh, Dave Esposito here in town, uh, we uh, tore out walls and ceilings and did all kinds of things to it, and uh, is now uh, an extraordinarily wonderful workspace studio for me. Uh, and I'm able to have uh, a space in the back for my extensive art library, and I also can uh, have some students and we do some various programming here uh, as well. And uh, back today. Uh, usually my Thursdays are with uh, several painters who come in from the area and we uh, they work uh, alone and I kind of talk with them occasionally and give them some advice and uh, but it, it's uh, uh, been an interesting evolution uh, you know leaving Roanoke after 46 years it was hard for me to imagine till we actually counted it up uh, and and moved up here uh, and the gallery has been really, I think, the uh, best way uh, as sort of a new artist in a new region to be able to connect with other artists and, and people interested in the arts, because otherwise it would have been very difficult uh, just on your own. I mean, you just can't start looking in the yellow pages and say, okay, who's an artist? And let me go call them up and see if they'll m- meet with me. Uh, and so the gallery has been really a great benefit in that regard and bringing us into connection with all kinds of uh, artists uh, in the region. Well, you just can't help it, Bill. Your influence spreads wherever you are. You have such a wonderful artistic energy and and 
such a such a nice person too i have to say yeah. it's well, been you. delightful thank knowing you. you all these years working with you we really miss you down here and uh was wondering if somebody wants to see your work is there any way they do you have you, you don't have a website do you uh, I, I have things on my website that is uh, connected to the gallery. So if they go to uh, the website, www.thevillagegallerycaledonia.com, C-A-L-E-D-O-N-I-A, Caledonia, uh, uh, they can see some of my work. Uh, uh, I think we even have my last lecture uh, video uh, from it that I gave when I retired at Hollins and some other things there, as well as some examples of my work as well. Fantastic. Well, it's been delightful catching up with you, talking to you again, and uh, thank you for being in Artemis again this year. You really, really help make it special, and you help create yes, such sir. beauty. Appreciate that. Well, thank you my pleasure and uh, I hope to uh, be able to submit in coming years as well. Thank uh, you. Artemis well, certainly holds a very special place in my life too. Well, thank you, Bill. We thank, look forward thanks, to Jerry. that. Okay. Thank you for joining Bye-bye. me today. Uh, Bye, Bill. And uh, I want to thank Skip Brown, my co-producer, for making this happen and do something in your life to create beauty. It'll make your soul feel good. Until next time, thank you. Can anybody tell me Will we all lost track of time, yeah Nobody takes the time You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a woman's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly to P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. The song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved, and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers. So much He loves so much Can anybody tell me When it became so cool We got everybody walking around Trying the same thing that everybody else they do and you know oh yes you know you gotta be yourself 
Cause yourself is all you got and all you got is what you need. Look in the mirror, see it clearer. The answer's staring at you. And so just slow down in life. Because you can't buy back your Just slow down. 